Okay, so we ended uh, chapter 9 last week. The judgments of the first six seals and the first six trumpets are now behind us. So seals, trumpets, back behind us, done. And I just want to show you, just as a reminder, we started off in Revelation, the first six seals, and then the seventh seal. And in the seventh seal, we, it talks about the six trumpets. So the, the, the seventh seal, first we talk about six seals, and then what consists of the seventh seal is talking about the first six trumpets. And then we have the seventh trump or trumpet, and which talks about the seven vials. So understand that the seventh of the seals and the seventh of the trumps talks about the next thing. So, and because it's like this, if you were looking, just to give you kind of an example, one year, two year, three years, if we were looking at a stock's performance, it would be like it went up, up, and then it went up, and then up, and then it went up, and then up, okay? This is the same performance, essentially, of this, which is the same essential performance of that first year, second year, third year. It's exactly the same performance, but the intensity of what's happening is going up in the book of Revelation. So what we have is these are the seals, these are the trumpets, and these are the vials, the last things to be poured out upon the people. Again, you decide if it's the people then or if it's uh, us, but that's the way to kind of understand it. And uh, the last part of each one covers the next section, covers the next section. Okay, just wanted to hit that for our reiteration. Uh, and then stuck between the sixth and seventh seals, which we've covered, we have a chapter come in. And so stuck between the sixth and seventh trumpets, we have a chapter get stuck in there. And that chapter is chapter 10. This is a chapter that's kind of stuck in the middle to kind of give us a narrative, sort of set the stage for the thing that's gonna happen next. We might suggest that the chapters are inserted between the seals and trumpets and they're God's way kind of, of saying, all right, we've poured the seals out. Let's give a chapter to talk, to remind you, I'm still reaching to you. I'm still here to help you. I'm still there. Don't give up hope. And then he unfolds the trumpets. And then we have a chapter inserted before the seventh. And he says, I'm still here. I'm still th this. And that's what chapter 10 is, is talking all about. We see in these chapters that God is comforting his people with a knowledge that he hasn't forgotten them and that they will ultimately be victorious if they hang on to his words. We might also note that the total effects of the sixth trumpet aren't completely done yet in where we are in chapter 10. Um, and so we're going to see that occur in chapter 11, at beginning between verses 3 and 13. So it's really starting to get heavier in terms of our chronology, but just try to understand that even though we're coming to a chapter where God is reassuring and there seems to be sort of a break, during this chapter, the sixth trumpet is still pouring out its stuff, just put it that way. And it's going to until we get into chapter 11 when the seventh trump will be unveiled, which will be the seven vials, the final really heavy stuff is poured out upon the people. 
Uh, so we're still dealing with the blast of the sixth trumpet as we read the contents of chapter 10. And only till we get to the uh, 14th chapter of chapter 11 will we see that that sixth trumpet blast has finished and it will enter into the uh, seventh, which is the seven vials. Uh, the theme of the chapter seems to be that declaration that God is trying to take possession of the earth. Now, when I say trying, I mean that this is how he is doing it. He is going to both of land, which represents Jerusalem, Israel, and sea, which represents always Gentile invading armies. God is taking over both. And to bring in the fulfillment of all the themes found in Scripture to establish God's kingdom here upon the earth. God's kingdom here upon the earth. That is what we are talking about. We have had him in the Old Testament promising a Messiah. We've had prophetic utterances about what it's going to look like when that Messiah comes and does what he's going to do. We have Jesus coming, the Messiah. We have the uh, apostles sharing the gospel. We have the end times being prophesied. It's coming, it's coming. And we have the unfolding of those end times now. And all of that is God's way to bring about his kingdom, all right? So let's talk about kingdoms for a minute. There are a number of things relative to God's kingdom. When we read kingdom, God's kingdom, we don't read God's kingdom in scripture. When you read kingdom of God, uh, or kingdom, talking about heavenly kingdoms, some say we're waiting for that kingdom to arrive. Just to let you know, the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, uh, they were a millennial church where Joseph Smith was saying, we are preparing the earth to receive God's kingdom. And when we, the saints, have done it and we have filled the earth God will come down with Jesus on the throne to reign over his kingdom here on earth. So let's get it ready. Let's be salt and light. Let's live our lives with holiness, and that will bring it in. That's how the church was really established. They were very millennial at the start. So some are waiting for that kingdom to arrive physically. Some say that they are helping that to come. Now, it's not just the Mormons. There is a group called uh, Kingdom Now. They're Christians. Kingdom Now Christians believe that by their salt and light and holiness, they're going to usher in the coming kingdom. And God, when Jesus sees that the earth is prepared to receive him, it will come. Some say that it is already here materially. And others suggest that is, it is here, but it is here spiritually. So there are groups who actually believe the material kingdom of God is here and that God is now adding to it with members, and in time it is going to encompass and engulf the whole earth. And then there are also those who believe it's here, but it's here completely and totally spiritually. I am one of those people. I'm not alone. I didn't create it. There's many people who agree with me, but that the kingdom of God came, and it is set up spiritually. It has nothing to do with material religion. So let's talk about God's kingdom or the kingdom for a minute. When the New Testament opens, I was just talking with Ruth about the intertestamentary period. We have the Old Testament ending, Malachi. And then we have 400 years of silence. In between those, that's called the intertestamentary period, where there is no testaments, no revelation given. And then suddenly the New Testament narrative opens, and who's walking around at the opening of the New Testament? A guy named John the Baptist. And when he comes, his first words are, 
Prepare for the kingdom of God is at hand. In the Greek, that is saying it's not way in the distance. It's coming upon you. It is here. Get ready. And you remember John the Baptist said, listen, the axe is laid at the base of the tree with the tree being Israel. And it's ready to be hewn down. This is how close we are to the end. The axe has been sharpened. It's laid at the base of the tree. This is where we are right now. We know that once John was imprisoned, that Jesus also preached, and he said the gospel of the kingdom of God is here. And, and, and when he was training his 12 apostles, uh, Jesus said in Mark 10, beginning at verse 5, then, the 12, uh, then these 12 Jesus sent forth and commanded them, saying, Go, not into the way of the Gentiles, and into any city of the Samaritans. Enter you not, but go to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. And as you go, preach, saying, The kingdom of heaven is at hand. Here it is. Get ready. Okay? So these pronouncements were a continuation of the Old Testament promises that there is going to be a kingdom that's going to come and it's going to establish peace on earth and it's going to establish where the lion lays down with the lamb and all the rhetoric of the Old Testament. This is the kingdom that Jesus says is coming. John the Baptist said, I'm coming to prepare the way for the Messiah of that kingdom. So the Jews were very familiar with the idea of the kingdom. It's important to understand that in light of the Old Testament context, the phrase kingdom of heaven or kingdom of God, listen, does not refer to a kingdom that's located in heaven. Just understand that as opposed to here on earth. But instead, it was always speaking of the coming of a kingdom to earth that had a heavenly origin. But it doesn't mean there's a kingdom up there that is going to come down here. It just means that God is going to send something down here to establish his kingdom here. And I would suggest that something is his spirit. So when this simple biblical fact is forgotten, we get people actually believing that a new heaven is going to be created and a new material earth is going to be established here in the future as his material kingdom when all it means is a new administration or a new way or economia is going to be is going to come in be at hand and it was started for this earth all the way back with John the Baptist when he says it's at hand and what John the Baptist I'm going to paraphrase was saying is get ready the king of this invisible, spiritual, heavenly originated kingdom is at hand. Get yourselves ready to participate in it by faith. Receive and believe on the Messiah who I'm going to baptize. And that is your entrance into this life with him, which is a life of internal peace. And it comes with a heavenly connection, not an earthly one. As the religious leaders of the Jews blasphemed the Holy Spirit uh, by refusing to accept the only true Messiah, the Spirit was calling to them and they refused to do it. Jesus started to use parables to teach truths about this kingdom. 
And if I went through, we don't have the time, but there's 106 passages that talk about the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven is. And it's very parabolic, and it's Jesus teaching what it's like. And if you have the time to go through and read those, read them with spiritual eyes, and you'll see these, these though they're given in material form, they have spiritual application. Right before Jesus ascended into heaven, his apostles said in Acts, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? Okay, so Jesus never corrected their expectation of a kingdom. He never said there's not going to be one on earth, but he indicated that the timing of its arrival was in the future and that in the meantime, a special period of time was going to be characterized by the indwelling of the Holy Spirit and it's gonna move across the land uh, and that was their immediate task, to share the message of the kingdom while the Holy Spirit is moving in hearts for people to become part of it while they were still alive. This kingdom would come into its fullness Again, this kingdom would come into its fullness at the return of Jesus to his own. If you don't believe he has returned to his own, then you are of the mindset that the kingdom is still out there. We're waiting for it to arrive. It's gonna come when he returns, and then we're gonna have all the things that the Old Testament passages read about and that Jesus talked about, and you're seeing it in, in a very material sense. You're seeing it as actually happening where downtown Salt Lake has no poor and the dogs and the cats get along and there's peace everywhere and there's a thousand year reign and all that. And that's a very normal way to understand it because that's how most people teach it. But if you take everything into context and believe that this is a spiritual kingdom, that the kingdom of God is within you, as Jesus says, if you believe it is something that's inside of you by faith, and that that kingdom from heaven dwells in you personally, you don't have to wait for another event to happen for you to experience membership in that kingdom, right? And so uh, the apostles, as proven by their words to Jesus in Acts chapter one, believed the kingdom was coming upon them at any second. And uh, they were looking for a material kingdom here on earth. So listen, when Jesus came, the Jews were looking for a material king. They were looking for someone to overcome the Roman Empire. And Jesus made it clear to Pilate, he said, my kingdom's not of this world. Okay, remember that, he said that. My kingdom's not of this world. So therefore, it has to be of another world. And the only other world I can think of, unless he's an alien, is spiritual. It's a heavenly kingdom, that's his kingdom. And when Jesus says the kingdom of God is within you, he is telling you that within your person dwells this kingdom of which you are a member. So in Luke 19, we read, and as they heard these things, Jesus added and spake a parable because he was close to Jerusalem and because they thought that the kingdom of God should immediately appear. They were under the impression that this kingdom was going to materialistically immediately appear and he teaches them that is not what it is. Uh, that's not what it is. So if we today are expecting a material kingdom to come with the second, with the second coming of Christ and we're waiting for that to manifest itself, I would suggest that we are no different than the Jews 
who when the Messiah came and said the kingdom of God's within you and it's not of this world, they missed it so much that they crucified him and they kept waiting for the real one to materially show up and he's like telling them that's not what it is. I don't think we're any different today waiting and expecting for the same thing to occur because it had occurred 2,000 years ago. Later in Matthew 24, Peter, James, John, and Andrew, you know this, we've covered it a hundred times. They come to Jesus before he goes to the cross and they says, when is all this gonna happen? And, and what will be the sign of your coming? And when's the end of this age? When the new age, the new Jerusalem, the heavenly kingdom is gonna come down and be upon us. And the rest of 24 and part of 25 is Jesus describing what that kingdom is going to look like. So we know that the apostles' idea that the kingdom was coming immediately and that it was perhaps even a material kingdom were dashed to pieces by Jesus and his talk of delays as things were going to be played out and as talking about a kingdom being within people and not just about them and of this world. If we can get that in our heads, that it's not of this world, you get a jump in your understanding of what scripture is talking about. An important new truth which Jesus began to reveal at this point was to his apostles in Matthew 24 and 25 is that there's gonna be a delay of this kingdom of God fully coming upon the earth. Once his kingdom was come, however, Jesus told his disciples then and there that in the regeneration is what he uses. In the regeneration, Matthew 19, 28, they would sit on thrones judging the 12 tribes of Israel. He told that to his 12 apostles, right? In the regeneration, they would. Shortly thereafter, Andrew is martyred. So we know that he is not telling them that in the regeneration, you're still gonna be alive walking around here and sitting on material thrones, judging the 12 tribes of Israel. We know it's a spiritual sense because Andrew had already been taken, right? And so they were so anxious for him to come back and, and establish this thing. Then again, and immediately prior to his ascension, the disciples asked him that question about the kingdom. And this is what it says in Acts 1, beginning at verse 6. And when they were therefore come together, they asked of him, saying, Lord, wilt thou at this time restore again the kingdom to Israel? They wanted that material kingdom. And he said to them, it's not for you to know the times or the seasons, which was the name of the LDS newspaper, which you know, which shows the millennial bent that they had, which the Father has put in his own power. But you shall receive power after that the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses unto me both in Jerusalem and to all Judea and Samaria and the uttermost parts of the land, not world, land, area, Gehei. So recall two things about that. Jesus told them that he would return before they had gotten through all the cities of Judea. Remember that passage. He told his apostles, before you get to all the cities of Judea, I will return. That's a promise to them. If he was wrong, I throw the book out. I'm no longer Christian. If he was wrong. But he's not wrong. He was right. Before those apostles could get to all the cities of Judea, he came back as he said he would. And with him coming back, brought in the kingdom that dwells in our hearts spiritually. And we are part of that kingdom that comes from heaven. And it's not of this world. And it's a completely different economia or economy. 
Until we get that straight in our minds, we are forever going to be on Facebook saying, I can see it coming. It's a coming. And, and you know, I, I can't wait till, till I get the, can I can be part of the kingdom and start to have peace and joy. It happened. You know, you will be free from all this if you can see it. The book of Revelation is the father telling his son the times and seasons will look like this. And I'm going to pour out this stuff upon the world. And you're going to see the fulfillment of me coming in and having my foot on the sea and my foot on the land, on the Gentiles, on Israel. And I am going to establish my kingdom. A new heaven will be established, a new earth that's all Hebraic language for just a new administration. A new Jerusalem. The old one was made of bricks and dust and, and donkeys. This one is a new Jerusalem. It's a new uh, city of David. It's a new city of peace, which we have the Prince of Peace hovering over as, as the king of it. So when you are part of that kingdom, we don't have to fret about the things that happen in this one. We know that we stand on the rock that has established a kingdom once and for all with unshakable things, an unshakable kingdom that can't be moved. And God has said, I will shake everything one more time. That's what he's doing with the seals and the trumps and the veils. I'm going to shake it so badly in heaven and in earth. It's going to be rocked so heavily that the only thing that will remain in this kingdom will be unshakable. And that is going to be my son. He's the rock. Stand on him. Let him be the prince of peace. Be part of this kingdom. If you lived in 1722 or you lived in 1989 or you lived in 2017, that's the kingdom you belong to. If you place your hope on shakable things, you belong to a kingdom that's of this world. I don't care what shakable thing it is. And you will belong to this world with all of its trials, and the Prince of Peace will not have its hold in your heart. But if you're a member of the kingdom that can't be shaken, you are part of that peaceful generation, and it won't change for you when you pass. Okay. It's this book of the Bible where key events related to God's kingdom coming to the earth are given to the seven churches of Asia Minor. And... God, through John, through Jesus, through John, tells them, listen, I'm coming soon. Here's what it all looks like. What's important to understand is in Revelation, we are shown several key things relative to the world and its kingdoms and it being destroyed. That is what's happening through the, uh, the uh, seals and the trumpets and the vials or the bowls being poured out. Because most people believe that what it is describing is material, they are waiting for it to still happen, as you guys know. If we can get ourselves again to see that it is a spiritual kingdom, that it is not of this world and never has been, and that it was initiated by Christ bringing a final judgment upon his brethren, the house of Israel, as he promised he would, we now can begin to see the new heaven and new earth and new Jerusalem uh, fell to some 2,000 years ago. Uh, when or if we can begin to see this, we can change our approach to the faith. When we can begin to see this, we can change our approach to missional work, 
to understanding how people are with or without the gospel, to how we do church, to how we treat each other. All sorts of things shift if that dynamic can happen in your head. I mean, today is Sunday, September 24th. We all laugh, and we, we you know, and it, it's kind of, uh, I guess, uh, irreverent to some people, but yesterday was September 23rd. Big frickin' deal, you know? It's just big deal. And yet there were people, I mean, candlelight vigils. It's the last days. It's the end. Well, the guy, he came out yesterday, and he said, no, you know, it's not going to be on the 23rd. It's going to be in October now. So he's got another month of our attention to waste our time. And, and when in that month, people can be sharing the peace that they have through Christ with others. And if someone says to them, well, is he coming back to destroy? You can say, just relax on that. You know, let me just tell you about being, you want to be part of a kingdom that's not of this world? Are you tired of this world? Are you tired of what's going on with this place? Let me show you about this other kingdom that I know about. That's what I'd like to introduce you to, you know. There were signs in the heavens this past while. Uh, in, in the book we talked about, there have been signs in the heavens for 2,000 years. There are earthquakes. Mexico's had three of them. Mexico's always had earthquakes. People die. There are tidal waves. They're going to continue to happen. That's this kingdom. That's this world. It's never going to be settled. It's always going to be unrestful. So we're going to forever see signs from that kingdom as being topsy-turvy. But they were never, ever correct, the hundreds, because they were built on an incorrect set of beliefs which then guide people on how they read scripture, including the book of Revelation. If you don't trust this, go back and watch the show last, two weeks ago and last week. The one two weeks ago slam dunks the historical record about what is happening in the book of Revelation and what happened in Jerusalem and with the Roman army. It's a dovetailed connection between secular history and what happened to Jerusalem and what the book of Revelation said was going to happen. And it's so on the nose, you can't get away from it, you know? But built into the book of Revelation, and I'm going to quickly discover this, it tells us that from 70 AD, the king of this kingdom has, Revelation 12, 5, 19, 5, a rightful rule over all nations. The book of Revelation says that the kingdom that he is over, the king has rightful rule over all nations now ask you a question. Does Jesus have rightful rule over all nations or not? If you say, no, he doesn't, then you're a futurist. You're waiting for him to get that right. If you say, yes, he does, then you're a fulfillment person. On the cross, you believe he had the victory. He came and returned. He ascended. He came back. And he now, it says, Revelation 12, 5, that he has rightful rule over all the nations. Okay? Uh, he has defeated the kingdoms of man. Do you believe that Christ has defeated the kingdoms of man? All right, Psalm 2, 1, Daniel 2, uh, 34, 35, Daniel 2, 44, 45, Revelation 1, 5, all tell us that in this kingdom, he will have defeated the kingdoms of man. Now, there are people who say the kingdoms of man still beat Christ, that God does not have control over the earth yet, that Satan is still roaming about and having his will, and, and, and we need to fear because he's roaming about like a roaring lion. We pull passages, and I suggest, whether you agree with it or not, he had the victory 
as 1 Corinthians 15 says, and God has become all in all, and that victory we can trust in. I suggest that strongly, and we don't have to fear the other kingdom. It says that he will usher in an endless full kingdom on the earth, Revelation 11:15, Revelation 24. He has ushered in the endless full kingdom on this earth. This is the one people say, no way. Look at the children who are being killed and the disease. There's no way Christ's kingdom's on this earth. Why? Because they have a picture of a material king sitting over and making sure everything is materially great. But his kingdom's not of this world. His kingdom is in the human heart. So does he, has he ushered in an endless full kingdom on earth in the human hearts of believers? He absolutely has. That's where it abides. The kingdom of God's within us. So never are you going to see ever this utopian idea of Christ coming back and sitting on a literal throne in a newly rebuilt temple and governing over the world for a thousand years. That thousand years doesn't even have application. That the demise of the kingdom of Satan has occurred. Revelation 22 uh, and 10. The demise of the kingdom of Satan has occurred. That's a big one. People say, there's no way. My cousin was possessed with the devil. And I've seen an actual exorcism. I'm not saying darkness is gone. Darkness pre was a, a, pre a predecessor to Satan. Satan was a good angel and he fell to darkness. Darkness is much stronger than Satan. But his role as the tempter and accuser amidst the law in the house of Israel is done. He and his angels cast with hell into the lake of fire. Done, Revelation 22. So what's causing all this evil? We are. This kingdom of this world, the lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, pride of life, we are. But he is over. He has no power. Or you're saying Christ has still battling with Satan. And everything he did when he said was finished wasn't really finished. And Satan is still having victories in stealing people away and trapping them forever in hell and burning fire and all that stuff, which was all to that period and that age. <clears throat> but we love an enemy. And we love to lay things at the foot of Satan. It's us. Because he, according to Revelation, which occurred at the coming of Christ, was thrown with hell, the lake of fire, angels, and uh, Satan into the lake of fire. And finally, he has a permanent dwelling. Uh, there is a permanent dwelling of the king among his subjects in place. That's Revelation 21.3. That means that in this kingdom, which is not of this world, Christ has a permanent dwelling place and you can't move him out of it. Hallelujah. Cannot move him out. He's there. And so we don't have to worry about, now that's what the futurists are hoping for in a material kingdom. They're hoping for a place that can't be moved once it's established and he'll rule with an iron fist to the rebels and he'll rule with love to those who are compliant. But this is what he is doing in the heart of people. He is dwelling on the throne seat of our hearts. And those who believe on him have him in this kingdom. We can understand the purpose and place of all this information and then be effectively part of this invisible, eternal, never-ending kingdom here and now and in the great beyond if we choose. Now get this. This is really important. Listen to this point of anything I've said. Many, many people have difficulty with what I've just said because in the book of Revelation... It mentions and gives descriptions of a continuation of physical birth, sin, and even physical death. 
And when it does that, people say, there is no way this has been fulfilled. There is this, all this is going to happen. This is a futuristic sense because uh, the, the book of Revelation is not talking about the end of all things. Therefore, the thought is that there's a 1,000-year period of time in Revelation describing when there won't be any of, uh, uh, when, when all of those things will come to an end, okay? I would strongly suggest that all the biblical language describing the blissful state found in the kingdom of God is all speaking and directed to the minds and hearts of those who are part of that kingdom from inside and not a literal, physical place. And this is part of our problem, which we're gonna get to now. All of these passages, and I'm not even covering the Daniel ones yet. We're gonna get to those later. You'll notice that in our study of Revelation, I haven't done that much going back and forth to the Old Testament. Um, But all of these passages when read are read by people who say, look at how it's describing what's going to be What's going to happen? I want to tell you that what it's describing here in all these books is prophecy. We're prophesied of the king, the Messiah, and have occurred. They are existing now. Everything that we're going to read is existing now within the believer who have the kingdom within them. All right? Now, uh, it's a lot, and we're going to wrap it up today with it. You want to read along with me? I'm going to go in order, and I'm going to try to keep my voice, but... It's necessary because we haven't done this over our course of the study, and I want to get these passages in there. We're not going to read the star one. That's Ezekiel chapter 44 through chapter 48. We're not going to read all of that. That one you can read on your own. But if you look at the language that's in there, you'll uh, be able to recognize common themes that are in Isaiah and Jeremiah. Isaiah 2. The word that Isaiah, the son of Amos, saw concerning Judah and Jerusalem. And it shall come to pass in the last days that the mountain of the Lord's house shall be established in the top of the mountains and shall be exalted above the hills and all nations shall flow unto it. And many people shall go and say, come ye and let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob, and he will teach us of his ways and we will walk with him in his paths. For out of Zion shall go forth the law and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. Wendy, will you get me some uh, paper towels? And he shall judge among the nations and shall rebuke many people. And they shall beat their swords into plowshares and their uh, spears into pruning hooks. Nations shall not lift up sword against nation, neither shall they learn war anymore. That is a prophetic utterance of the kingdom But people read that, thank you, and say, we're waiting for this to come. Have nations beat their uh, 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 swords into plowshares? No. It hasn't happened. So because they take it literally, they can't see it in the way that it was intended. In Isaiah 9-6, which you're familiar with, it says, For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, the mighty God, the everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace, listen, of the increase of his government and peace, there shall be no end upon the throne of David and upon his kingdom to order it and to establish it with judgment and with justice from henceforth even forever. The zeal of the Lord of the host will perform this. This is a kingdom that was established. He is the governor. He is the counselor. He is the one of the government and peace. There will be no end to this kingdom. But it's not that literal 
physical kingdom. Isaiah 11, 1. And there shall come forth out of the rod of the stem of Jesse, and a branch, capital B, shall grow out of his roots, and the spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord, and shall make him of quick understanding in the fear of the Lord, and he shall not judge after the eyes of his sight, neither, remove, re, re, neither reprove after the hearing of his ears, but with righteousness he shall judge the poor and reprove with equity for the meek of the earth, and he shall smite the earth with the rod of his mouth, and with the breadth of his lips he shall slay the wicked, and righteousness shall be the girdle of his loins, and faithfulness the, girdleness, the girdle of his reins. The wolf shall also dwell with the lamb, and the leopard shall lie down with the kid, and the calf, and the young lion, and the fatling together, and the little child shall lead them. And the cow and the bear shall feed, and their young ones shall lie down together, and the lion shall eat straw like the ox. I remember seeing those books from the Jehovah's Witnesses showing this idyllic, utopian place on the, you know, we're just looking for this to happen. All literally presented. Lions and bears sitting there hanging out together. That is not it. It's the way the Hebrews are describing a peaceful kingdom where there is peace. And he goes on and says, And the suckling child shall play on the hole of the asp, and the weaned child shall put his hand on the cockatrice den. They shall not hurt nor destroy in all my holy mountain, for the earth shall be full of knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. And in that day there shall be a root of Jesse, which shall stand for an ensign of the people. To it shall the Gentiles seek. To it shall the Gentiles seek a prophecy of the Gentiles receiving this kingdom, and his rest shall be glorious. And it shall come to pass in that day that the Lord shall set his hand again the second time to recover the remnant of his people, which shall be left from Assyria, from Egypt, from Pathros, from Cush, from Elam, from Shinar, from Hamath, and from the islands of the seas. And he shall set up an ensign for the nations. Most of the stuff you see in, in Mormon uh, eschatology, they, bring, and they use all this rhetoric to talk about this time when the kingdom will be established and shall assemble the outcasts of Israel and together the dispersed of Judah from the four corners of the earth. The envy also of Ephraim shall depart. The adversaries of Judah shall be cut off. Ephraim shall not envy Judah and Judah shall not vex Ephraim. Isaiah 61, arise, shine, for thy light is come, and the glory of the Lord is risen upon thee. For behold, the darkness shall cover the earth, and gross darkness the people, but the Lord shall rise upon thee, and his glory shall be seen upon thee, and the Gentiles shall come into thy light, and the kings of brightness of thy rising. All of that is about the fulfillment of the prophecies of the Messiah coming first to the Jews and then the Gentiles receive it and the kingdom has come forward. I'm not gonna do that whole thing. Isaiah 65, 17, for behold, I create new heavens and a new earth and the former shall not be remembered nor come to mind. Uh, and again, that's indicative of someone who has left the world, their former life becomes a mist to them. They live in the new kingdom and they don't even come to mind over time. But be glad and rejoice forever in that which I create. For behold, I create Jerusalem a rejoicing and her people a joy. And I will rejoice in Jerusalem and joy in my people. And the voice of weeping shall be no more heard in her, nor the voice of crying. Drop down to Jeremiah 23, 1. Woe unto the pastors that destroy and scatter the sheep of my pasture. 
Therefore, thus saith the Lord God of Israel against the pastors that feed my people. You have scattered my flock and driven them away and have not visited them. Behold, I will visit upon you evil for your doing, saith the Lord. And I will gather the remnant of my flock out of all countries, whether I have, whether I have driven them. And I will bring them again into their folds, and they shall be fruitful and increase. And I will set up shepherds over them which shall feed them. And they shall fear no more, nor be dismayed, neither shall they be lacking. Behold, the days come, saith the Lord, I will raise unto David a righteous branch. And a king shall reign and prosper, and shall execute just judgment and justice in earth. In his days Judas shall be saved, and Israel shall dwell safely. And this thy name, whereby he shall be called the Lord of our righteousness. Amen. Jeremiah 31, 31. Behold, the days come, saith the Lord, that I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. By the way, the writer of Hebrews takes this passage and assigns it to that day and age. Not according to the covenant that I made with their fathers in the day when I took them out of the land to bring them out of Egypt, which my covenant they break, although I was a husband unto them, saith the Lord. But this shall be the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel. After those days, saith the Lord, those days when he brought them through, I will put my law in their inward parts and write it in their hearts and will be their God and they shall be my people and they shall teach no more every man his neighbor and every man his brother saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me from the least to the greatest, saith the Lord, for I will give, forgive their iniquity and remember their sin no more. That is a sign that the kingdom is inward that the laws are written on our hearts. It's not religion. In that day, we are living well past that day. This is, this is into the fulfillment way beyond. He has written it on the hearts of those who love him and seek him and know him, and the rest are part of the kingdom of this world. But those who are part of his kingdom, he says, look it, it's coming a time after, after this time with the Jews that I'm going to write my law on their inward parts, and no one needs to teach anybody else. I mean, he says it right there, and then it's echoed again in, in Hebrews. Ezekiel 37, 15, the word of the Lord came unto me, saying, Moreover, thou son of man, take thee one stick and write upon it for Judah and for the children of Israel and his companions, and take another stick and write upon it for Joseph, the stick of Ephraim, and for all the house of his companions. Join them one together, join them one to another into one stick, and they shall become one in thy hand. And when the children of thy people shall speak unto thee, saying, Wilt thou not show what thou meanest by these? Say this unto them. Here's the explanation, you guys. Thus saith the Lord, Behold, I will take the stick of Joseph, which is in the hand of Ephraim and the tribes of Israel his fellows, and will put them with him, even with the stick of Judah, and make them one stick, and they shall be one in my hand, and the sticks whereon thou writest shall be thine but be in thine hand before their eyes. So he says, what I'm going to do is you're going to write on these sticks and I'm going to put them in one hand and that's going to be right in front of their eyes. And then he says, thus saith the Lord, I will take the children of Israel from among the heathen, whether they be gone, and will gather them on every side and bring them into their own land. And I will make them one nation in the land upon the mountains of Israel. There's your context right there. Can't be used in a Latter-day Saint sense in the mountains of Israel, and one king shall be king to them all. This is talking about that future kingdom. And they shall be no more two nations, neither shall they be divided into two nations anymore, neither shall they defile themselves with their idols, nor detestable things, and I will be their God. And he goes on and on. Ezekiel, those other chapters are full. Let's wrap it up. 
Zechariah, again the word of the Lord, eight, chapter, uh, chapter 8, verse 1, came to me saying, Thus saith the Lord of hosts, I was jealous for Zion with great jealousy. I was jealous for her with great fury. Thus saith the Lord, I am returned unto Zion, and I will dwell in the midst of Jerusalem. And Jerusalem shall be called a city of truth, and the mountain of the Lord, this Jerusalem, is going to be the new Jerusalem. It is going to be the heavenly Jerusalem, not the old dusty one. And yet there should be old men and old women dwell in the streets of Jerusalem, and every man with his staff in his hand for very age. And the streets of the city shall be full of boys and girls playing in the streets thereof. Thus saith the Lord of hosts, if it be marvelous in the eyes of the remnant of the people in those days, should it be marvelous in my eyes? Thus saith the Lord of hosts, behold, I will save my people from the east country and from the west country. And I will bring them, and they shall dwell in the midst of Jerusalem, and they shall be my people, and I will be their God in truth and righteousness. You can jump down and go to Zechariah 14.8. And it shall be in that day the living waters shall go out of Jerusalem, half of them toward the former sea, half of them toward the hinder sea. In the summer and winter shall it be, and the Lord shall be king over all the earth. And in that day there will be one Lord, and his name one. All the land shall be turned as a plain from Geba to Reman to the south. And it's just talking about the spiritual Israel. It's talking about the fulfillment of this time and this place when everything he has, God has become all in all as 1 Corinthians describes. Finally, last one in Micah, and we didn't cover the Daniel. Because in the last days it shall come to pass that the mountain of the house of the Lord shall be established in the top of the mountains and it shall be exalted above the hills and the people shall flow unto it. This is Hebrew verbiage for the way they wrote. At the very high, the kingdom will be there. The people will flow unto it. And uh, I'm not going to even read the rest of it. Just understand that uh, those passages, I didn't want to ma manipulate them as we went through the book of Revelation up to this point and use them to justify certain positions. They all speak to that kingdom and that time and place when there would be peace, when God would be all in all, when all nations would be one uh, only through Christ Jesus. Those who are his will have their law written on their hearts. We will all communally get along and understand each other because the spirit of God is with us. And we don't need to worry anymore about any future uh, prophecies being fulfilled and coming upon us because it came upon Israel as promised by the Lord. Any comments or questions? Oh, it's hot. Let's go to our brother over there. It looks like Robert Verdon without my glasses. It's the Verdon. Uh, <clears throat> a comment and a question, Sean. In uh, Zechariah 14, um, Orson Pratt, um, Brigham Young's favorite apostle, I suppose, uh, displayed his inability to employed deductive reasoning because he said Zechariah 14 was talking about Salt Lake City so we know how Mormon leaders can sometimes be and also uh, Zechariah 8 that you read you read a, a phrase the West Country and if you if you go exactly east on the latitude line on the globe of, the, of our planet and you draw a line from Jerusalem straight east I believe you end up in North Carolina and you, you know, you, 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 uh, your line will go through the Bering Straits and the, uh, excuse me, I think it's the Rock of Gibraltar between Spain and northern, northern Africa. You'll, 
you'll go right in the middle of the Mediterranean Sea, in the land of North Carolina. So the West Country is at the United States and prophecy somehow? I don't think so. <laughs> what do you think it is? <laughs> I don't know. I'd have to study it. I don't know. My answer is I don't know, but I don't think so, but I don't know. Yeah. I don't think the United States is included in biblical prophecy. Maybe. Go ahead, Brother Patrico. Okie dokie, automachoki. Um, <laughs> anywho, in Isaiah, when it talks about the, the, the uh, you know, all nations will flow into the house of the Lord, should be, yeah. the house of the Lord should be established, LDS used that as a, as a prophecy at the Salt Lake Temple. Yeah. So what, what's your understanding of that? Because it confuses me. It's all me. to Judah. It's all to Israel. It's all to Jerusalem. There's only one house yeah. of the Lord. It's on Mount Moriah. And so the LDS have misappropriated the text and assigned it to themselves, which is what they're really good at doing. But there's no way that says anything about, has anything to do with a temple in Salt Lake City. Yeah. Okay, cool. And neither does the reference in Genesis about uh, Joseph having a son of a son of a son <laughs> and Joseph Smith saying that that was him. Something else and then you can do. I don't believe, anyway. Okay, and then I have something else really quick. Uh, in Second Peter chapter 3, yeah. You're probably familiar because it's talking about the second coming. Yeah. It says, uh, which confuses me in the Pedro's view. It says, knowing this, okay, that ye may, I'll just be quick, knowing this first, that there shall come in the last days scoffers, walking up their own lust, and saying, where is the promise of his coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of creation. All things continue. It reminds me of Preterism a little bit. What do you think about that? Like, Peter, remember, who was who he writing to? He was writing to them. Yeah. And he said, in these last days, we're going to have scoffers. Mm. They're going to be like the scoffers in the time of Noah, who uh -huh. walked about and said, where's the flood? Everything's going on like it's always gone on. We've been here 120 years, and there's no flood. That's, what his, that's the context of that. So anytime you read those passages, when it's tempting to think, wow, he's talking about us, he and all of the apostles were always talking to them and say, in fact, it was, I think it was Peter who said, we're, this is the last time. This is it. Peter himself says it in that same book or the book before it. So he is talking to them. He's saying, we are in the last days and we have scoffers, just like they had in Noah's day. Yeah. Could we assign that to our day? Sure. You could assign it to me right now. But I don't think it's uh, comparing apples to apples. Awesome. Awesome. Thanks, Sean. You're welcome. You're welcome. Back to the verdant of verdant. Are you sure? Uh, just in case anybody doesn't know, uh, the um, inspired version of the Holy Scriptures edited by uh, the guest of honor, Mr. Smith, he added about 12 or 13, 20 verses in Genesis chapter 50. And naturally, there's no Hebrew manuscript on the face of the planet that has those extra verses. Like you mentioned about Joseph having a, a son by the name of Joseph, and it's talking about him. So Thank you, nonsense. Robert Burns. Thank you. Appreciate it. Anything else? Song, dance, Jonathan? Right after this, we're going to be taping uh, a show for the future with uh, our sister Ruth from Preston, Idaho. So if you want to stay and watch, we're just going to set the chairs up and get that rolling. You're always welcome. If not, we'll go from there. Jonathan? So I wanted to touch on the thousand years of peace. Yeah. So I know in different verses, it says clearly 1,000 years, and in other verses it says a 1,000 years. Yeah. So 
in Revelation, when it's talking about the thousand years of peace, it says in uh, chapter 20, verse 4, it's kind of long, it says, And I saw thrones, and they sat upon them, and judgment was given unto them. And I saw the souls of them that were beheaded for the witness of Jesus and for the word of God, and which had not worshipped the beast, neither his image, neither had received his mark upon their foreheads or in their hands. And they lived and reigned with Christ a thousand years. So does that mean it could be a spiritual, in my mind, I feel like it could be a spiritual reigning uh, forever, basically. Yeah. We let scripture interpret scripture. And thousand to the Hebrews is the innumerable total amount. It is not 1,000. It's just the total amount. So what he's saying is they, they will reign with Christ forever and ever. His kingdom is not going away. The way we have justification for that is in the Old Testament. The one I always use is God, it says through, in Psalms that God is the God of a thousand uh, sheep on a thousand hills. Okay, that's the Hebrew way of saying he's the God of all sheep on all hills, not just a thousand, right? And so, but when we literally read it, it's called Kiliism, and we really, literally read a thousand there, we say, okay, he's coming, and then there's going to be a thousand-year period of all these things being fulfilled, and it's not the way the Bible is really saying it. We just forget to, to bring those things in. So it, it already did happen, a thousand years of peace, and it's still continuing. Still continuing. One more thing, since I have the mic. Um, now, I do believe that Satan was cast into the lake of fire. Yeah. With the host of heaven that Angels. fell with him. Mm -hmm. He convinced them, and I'm sure they're upset at that choice that uh -huh. they made. Um, although there are things on the earth, like, uh, you know, there's YouTube videos on the Ouija board, mm -hmm. and some of them seem pretty real. Like, there's a lot of them. Mm -hmm. And people, you know, they get answers. Like, they think they're talking to their, their past loved ones, like mm -hmm. their grandma that passed away. Mm-hmm. Is it possible that it could be us, like, uh, you know, the spirits, they know more about this world than we do, and they're able to, you know, contact people, just as we can contact the Holy Spirit, people try to contact these uh, demonic spirits that are in their realm. Is that well, it says Satan and his angels were cast in, right? It's not just Satan, it was with his angels. If that's fulfilled, we have to say, well, then what's causing these apparitions and these other things. Well, remember this, Jonathan. Before Sa Satan was created, mm -hmm. something influenced him to rebel against God. It was pride. Okay, and where did that pride come from? His own, his own heart. Came from himself, and, and, or it came from a super non-God place. Definitely. That, and that is what I think we have now with us, is non-God or God. Non-God can move Ouija boards and do all sorts of stuff, I guess. Mm. But the personification of Satan the angel and his angels and hell, which he reigned over Sheol before Christ had victory over it, was cast into the lake of fire. Mm. How to explain everything else, I, that's the best I can do. That's okay. the only way I can see it. So it's up to us, basically, whether we call on the spirit of the, the Holy Spirit or on some other right spirit adam and eve before the fall how were they able to make a bad decision because in man is the ability to do things that are against god without having fallen yet they chose to go against him satan tempted them the tempter was here but now the law is gone so the tempter is gone his purpose among the children of israel over 
So to me, if, if we're talking about fulfillment, the evil comes from us, and we are perfectly capable of coming up with, in fact, James says, when you're tempted to do evil, don't think God's doing it, it comes from you. He said, he doesn't even mention Satan. He says, when you're enticed, you are drawn away of your own lust, and you pursue it. That's what James, so that's where I think it's all coming from. I agree with that, hence our individual judgments. Yeah, praise God. And we're going back to Patricio. Hello, Mallory McCray, Lundqvist. Okay, I'll be quick. It says in the same chapter of Peter that I was in earlier, verse 8, chapter 3, Beloved, be not ignorant of this one thing, that one day is with... that one day is with the Lord. It was covering my words. With the, that is one day with the Lord. But, beloved, be not ignorant this one thing, that one day is with the Lord as a thousand years, and a thousand years as one day. So what, how do you interpret that? I take that literally. And what does it say to you? It's all confusing because of second coming and preterism. And Let me just give it to you. They cancel each other out. If he stopped with one day is a thousand years with the Lord, Patrick, if he... If he said that, that would be fine. We could say, one day with us, a thousand years with the Lord. And that's the matrix of it, right? Yeah. But he says, and a thousand years as is one day. So those two reversing each other mean there's no time with him. I see. Get it? That makes sense. Yes. You have to follow up that second part to get it. What most people do is read one day is a thousand years, so maybe the thousand years was only a day or will be only a day and all that. No. There is no time with him. A day is a thousand years, and a thousand years is but a day, meaning he doesn't have time. Praise the Lord. All right. All right. We got that one down. Anything else? All right. The... Uh, the booze and ganja is in the back. For if there's any left. <laughs> Sorry, you guys. You got to see our audience. Alicia just went, oh. <laughs> you guys kill me. Let's pray and get out of this den of iniquity. Just kidding you. Lord, we love you, and we hope you <laughs> love us like you say you do. We don't know how. We do want to know you. We, we joke around. We have lots of questions, but we do seek you, and we need you in our lives because we want to be in that kingdom because outside of it, it's just too much turmoil, and, and it's too difficult. And we make these messes Jonathan brought up. We, we create so much difficulty and make such bad decisions on our own, and so we want to have the Prince of Peace reigning on our hearts, and we want to seek him and, uh, and, and pursue him uh, because he is our Lord and King, and you gave him so that he can be our intermediary, our person between us, and bring us to you in fullness, Lord. So we just pray that we will grow in our faith toward Jesus Christ. We will be better Christians, and we'll learn to fully walk in this kingdom that's invisible. And people will see that light, that city that is set on a hill, and they'll wonder about it, and we'll be able to share that it's him and him alone. Help those people who are trapped in bondage, religious bondage, relationship bondage, uh, depression, psychological issues, addiction, sin, whatever it is, bless them, make yourself known, especially people that we know of here at campus who aren't with us or come and, and, and uh, don't show up and just all of them, just know that we're praying for them. 
We pray for our brother. I didn't pray for him this morning, Glenn Hill, who had an open heart surgery. We pray he's had some difficulties, that you'll bless his heart and uh, give him life and continue on. We pray for Jax in his school year. We pray for Patrick's brother, Paul, that he'll come to know you, God. We pray for Annette and her cancer has returned and uh, she's having another surgery and is starting radiation. We pray for our friend Grace, child with treatments for chemotherapy and radiation for her cancer. You'll be with her parents and her family and help her body to respond. We pray for uh, Michelle and uh, Michael and his medical problems. And of course, our sister Diana and her uh, broken leg and being in that hospital. We pray that you will help her to heal and come back and join us. And anybody else who stands in need, we pray you'll.